This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello, and welcome to the Legal Lounge, where we now release new episodes every Monday. If you haven't heard previous shows, there's plenty of content for you. If you're going through a divorce, want to know more about claiming for injuries, or you're training to be a lawyer, you can listen to these shows on your favourite podcast app and get more information by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this podcast, solicitors Edward Rees and Neil Davis rip into the Powers of Attorney Act 2023, but manage to find some humour along the way. Hi, I'm Neil Davis. I'm a solicitor and partner at Lanyon Bowdler, and I'm head of the Court of Protection Department, and I'm with Edward Rees, who would like to introduce himself. <laughs> I, think, I think you're being too modest, Neil, because in your introduction, you failed to say that you are, of course, the Melvin Bragg of legal podcasting and contributor to one of the one of the most listened to legal podcasts of all time, I think. Well, we'll get on to that in a moment, actually, because that, that has become something of a, a thing. You'll see in a moment. You just introduce yourself. Right. Well, I'm Edward Rees, and I'm a solicitor and uh, and a partner in the in the private client department. So we're different departments. Once upon a time, of course, we were of one department. But uh, yes, we did. Your destiny lay outside of our department. That's right. Uh, But uh, I'm not bitter. No, no. You only bring it up about twice a year. (laughs) Okay. Today, we are going to be talking about changes to powers of attorney. Well, just before we get there, I just want to talk about that thing that's become the millstone from that episode. Do you know how long it's been? That was about two years ago, nearly. That's the last one we did together. Yeah. I'll tell you how long it's been. It's been 15 months. 15 months? Yeah. Okay. 27 days, 13 hours, (laughs) six minutes since you took your love away. (laughs) Because I've heard you've I, been uh, busy with other people well, in the in the interim. Worthy so people. I haven't, I haven't done any because <laughs> you set the standard and said that was so brilliant. <laughs> but you've been sort of busy, you know, with other people. You did set a high bar, but uh, yeah, well, you got to spread the love, haven't you, really? And it wasn't that I didn't want to do another podcast with you, but I wanted it to be really special. And uh, this is a special topic, I feel. And And also, you didn't have a subject to discuss. I kept coming to see you, and you didn't have anything to talk about. I don't recall that <laughs> at all. But when you've been doing other podcasts, you've been telling people they they were equally as good as I am. Well, no, I no. Well, I, I yeah. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, you did, didn't I'll you? have yeah. to spend a bit of time on that. <laughs> I was worried that David was upset that I'd been uh, too effusive yeah. in my praise of you. David and that he Pugh would feel left out. David Pugh, and so. This is the vicious circle that that's created, clearly. What about the other people? I've got a whole list of people you've been involved with here, Edward. Like Danny Bibb. Do you remember him? Do? Danny Bibb. What about John Crust? <laughs> Papa Trout. I can go on. Junior Backdraft. <laughs> what? Hilary Minecraft. I think we'll leave it there, Edward. <laughs> No um, idea. So, so we'll move on uh, to talk about lasting powers of attorney. We better had to. We better had to. And we were just talking before about, because we weren't sure how long this podcast will last, because it's a bit unscripted. I sent you uh, some information that had been published by the Law Society back in October, and I think I sent that before Christmas. We were trying to work out how long a podcast 
should last. Well, it's what what is the optimum length? Yeah, and I think you you had a good idea about that. Well, I have I have now discovered the optimum length of time for a podcast. Obviously, it should be long enough to engage the listener, but clearly. If you were listening to your podcast in the bath, if you become prune-like, the podcast is possibly a bit too long. That's kind of the optimum time that we're aiming for. Yeah, yeah, the prune perhaps test. Just, well, yeah, I think <laughs> perhaps, perhaps the, the start of some wrinkling and then you know that, uh, that it's uh, abandoned ship. Well, yeah, just <laughs> fade away quickly <laughs> once, once you're pruning up. So we'll so. try and aim for that. But as we say, it's a bit unscripted. Because, as I said, I, I sent you this uh, blurb that had been published by <laughs> the Law Society in response to the royal assent given to the Powers of Attorney Act 2023, uh, that, that assent having been given on the 18th of September 2023, with a view to you having a look at that. So let's just are, set the... Are let's you, just set are the, you perhaps insinuating that I haven't been... No, no, not, not at all. ...researching away in the Bodleian Library since uh, since you sent me the link. Not at all, December. but let's, let's just set the scene. I, I imagine that you took the time, perhaps over the holidays, I don't know, <laughs> to sit down, and I imagine you in a smoking jacket, um, perhaps with uh, some jazz playing in the background and um, putting your thoughts to paper. Is, is, am I right? <laughs> well, or was it this morning? <laughs> I, it's a calumny uh, to suggest that it might have been this morning. But yeah, I did, I did have a look at this. I perhaps have not done a huge amount of research on this, but I, I think I know a bit. I mean, what's changed and, and well, what, what's this all about? Because we've got powers of attorney yeah. and we went through quite a big uh, change. Yes. Uh, it seems like only a short time ago yeah. to me, but I suppose it does... it's 2007. So yeah. why, why have we got to go through... Lots of changes again. I don't know. Why can't we just leave things alone? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll come to that. It's a good point and good background for people listening who may not be overly familiar. So going back decades, we've we've had powers of attorney in one form or another. We had the enduring power of attorney since 1985. And then with the Mental Capacity Act coming into force in 2007, we have the, the format that's now operative, which is the lasting powers of attorney for property and affairs and and, and welfare. They've been going since 2007. And then towards the end of 2023, the government introduced the Powers of Attorney Act 2023, uh, which has had royal assent. So that's the stage it's at. It's not... So it's actually on the statute books. It's not in force. So that's where we are at the minute. And if you read the blurb that's on the internet about the Act... It's very much coming from the position that the government has thought about this over a period of time with the pressure to streamline. Well, it's doing two things. One is it's streamlining the procedure for making a power of attorney and getting it registered to be able to use it. And hand in hand with that, it's making it more accessible by digitising it that's what I've seen that uh, it's very paper based at the moment it's very heavy on the paper Uh, and as with all things it's trying to move it online with a view to make it a more efficient uh, process the objective being that that in itself speeds up the whole process speeds up the registration time uh, because powers of attorney have to be registered don't they or lasting powers of attorney have to be registered that's right so In bullet point form, what the Law Society has said is that the government will be speeding up the registration time by picking up errors earlier and allowing these to be fixed online. There'll be ID checks 
there'll be this ability to create a digital LPA online. It'll widen the class of people able to object to the registration of an LPA and where objections have been lodged um, it will expedite the objection process so there's a quicker determination as to whether the LPA is valid and able to be registered. With that in mind I looked at the Powers of Attorney Act that's on the statute books at the moment and and interestingly it's very much the bare bones of what's going to happen later because essentially what it does it just provides some amendments from start to finish it's not completely new piece of standalone legislation it's one of those pieces of legislation that refers back to an earlier piece of legislation and says you know at paragraph such and such insert this take this out omit that which you know is if you're trying to read it it's quite difficult i was going to ask you i've got a question well you'd need two computer screens Or a very large computer screen. Yeah. Either of which option would be available to you. You just have to ask. But uh, I've got a question here. It says, have you read the Act? Yes. Uh, assuming that you wouldn't have done and that you'd feel bad. You're but you have me, I was going to catch you out. And you have actually read it. Yes. But, but that, I suppose, as well as it building on steps of giants in the existing um, Acts that there are related yes. to powers of attorney, I suppose the other thing that it's, it's probably doing as well is it's allowing the uh, Office of Public Guardian or, you know, executive authorities the ability now to go away and actually build the process. Yes. The, the, new, the new process and come, giving them the yeah. authority to do that, isn't it? Yes. We hope that's a good thing. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's all very well saying, well, we're doing a new act. And it's, but actually, the end of the process or how it affects people is, number one, is it actually going to make the process more efficient? Is it actually going to speed it up? And is it going to do anything to tackle abuse of LPAs? Because, you know, we don't see a huge amount of abuse of LPAs, I don't think. Uh, and we see the kind of the good side of it. And we're well, I think you do, them, but, but I see the bad side. Well, yeah, yeah, we see, yes, we see the yeah. better side and you, you do see the bad side. But we know there's, you know, however much of it we actually get as a proportion of the work that we do, we know there's an awful lot of abuse of LPAs out there. Yeah, oh, well, I've had so many cases in the last year where, unfortunately, the abuse is, is, is there and it's, and it's continuing. So, so whether this act will put a stop to that or somehow alleviate that I'm really not sure what it's going to do is I'll just take you just very brief, briefly through the act and you'll see in a bit more detail what they've set out in the act I mean nowhere in the act does it talk about digitizing oh it doesn't no it just amends what's in the mental capacity act right uh, the existing uh, schedule one to the existing mental capacity act which deals with lasting balance of attorney on that digitization thing because when the state gets its hands on things and says, we're going to digitise it, we're going to take it online. In my experience, which I suppose is the, the probate application experience, yes, there's a limit to how far they're actually taking it online. It's still, in terms of the probate application process, it's still very heavily paper-based. You still have to mm-hmm. send in the will. Uh, you still, it, 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 you've still got to get you know, print out paperwork and, and get it signed off and, and what have you. So there's limits to how far it is actually an online process. And I wonder whether this is going to be the same kind of thing, that actually it's not really an online process. There's a, some form filling that you can do, but ultimately it's still going to be quite paper-based. I well, mean, I, I noticed that one of the good things about it is that, for, I mean, I'm not being a Luddite, but for people who are not able to do things online, either because they don't want to mm-hmm, or because they just mm-hmm. they can't, it's not within their experience, they, they, they simply don't have 
broadband access or they don't have fiber mm-hmm. whatever the paper route is still going to be available but i'm just i want to see what the proposals are mm-hmm. for this online process and how it's actually going to yeah. work my understanding is is that it, it'll be fully digitized so, so, fully. so you'll do your application right. online and this is part of of the the hopeful streamlining of the application to register process so you know you create your lpa online you do the registration online and it's at that stage when it's still all online that the opg are saying we can now pick out errors in the lpa you know what hasn't been executed properly or it hasn't complied with the formal requirements for the creation of an lpa that they can be picked up at an early stage things rectified sorted out and then before the creation of a final lpa hand in hand with that they're also saying that the paper route will still be available. The Law Society actually picked up on this and said, we support the Act's aim to improve access through the digital route whilst uh, ensuring a paper process so that vulnerable people are not disadvantaged Mm -hmm. by the government's proposal. So we'll still have the paper route available if people don't want to use internet or or can't or, or, or what have you. But where you choose the digital process, then it's digital. That's all good. And I mean, the other thing that I suppose is, and this is maybe dancing on the heads of pins, um, but uh, whether you'll be penalised for going down the online route as opposed to the paper route, you know, that, that you you have to pay more if it's a paper application as opposed to an oh, well, online we'll application. See. But I suppose we'll yeah. see, won't we? Um, yeah. But the... Um, there's, there's as much we don't know. Uh, I mean, absolutely. that's just one example because yeah. the whole... What the actual... Uh, actually says is although it's received royal assent it's not yet in force the section two of the act will come in force two months after the act has been passed okay section two amends the mental capacity act schedule one so that in future under this process the only person who can apply to register the lpa is going to be the donor the person who created it so I suppose that's one of the safeguards they're introducing to try and avoid a situation where the donee, the, the, you know, the proposed attorneys yeah. are registering it. So it has to be the donor. Okay. But the rest of the act, all the other paragraphs after paragraph two, mm-hmm. uh, will come into force by secondary legislation. Right. So right. That's, they're going to be dealt with by specific uh, regulations yeah. under statutory instruments. Okay. Okay. Picking up on something you said before, uh, which again, it's, it's in that Law Society um, uh, release and, and the government's press release as well, you know, speeding up the registration time by picking up the errors earlier. Because they're actually very good, aren't they, at picking up the errors, the OPG? I mean, you can't get anything past them. If you've, no. If you've messed up doing the LPA, mm-hmm. it will be spotted. Yeah. Um, but I suppose... The problem with that is that it takes weeks, months for them to get to the point where they've actually got to that and then they get back to you and it just Mm. creates grind in the whole system. If they can get to it quicker and it's all online, Mm -hmm. that is actually good for the the end user. It's good for the punter, isn't it? It's good Mm. for us lawyers Mm. Um, because sometimes people do get things. uh, I mean, we we try not to, but sometimes people do get uh, things wrong. And, And again... This doesn't have to be a lawyer thing. This should be, everybody should be able to do this themselves, shouldn't they? Yes, that's something we'll come on to a bit later. 
in connection with certificate providers, which isn't dealt with under the new Act, but it's something that's been raised by the Law Society, and it's an important thing. We'll come back to that after. So Section 2 of the new Act will bring in this proposal that it'll be the donor who applies to register the the LPA. The other thing that's going to be changing is that at the moment you've got a system whereby if the attorneys apply to register the the LPA they have to give notice to the the donor and anybody that's been named by the donor to be notified. What's going to happen is that under the new proposals the donor will apply to register the LPA and then once that's been received, it will be the public guardian who does the notices. Is it really going to be the case that, because at the moment you've got an option about when you register. Yeah. You you can do the LPA and you, most people, I guess, do choose to register it as soon as they've executed it and the attorneys have executed, but you don't have to. Um, and you can leave the registration to some point in the future when you might actually, or your attorneys might actually need to activate the LPA. And then it's the attorney's. Um, who are registering it, perhaps. Are we really saying that 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 route's not going to be available at all, that you will have no option but to register and it's you, the donor, who are doing it when you are creating the power of attorney? I don't know. All I can see at the moment is that the Mental Capacity Act 2005 is amended in that respect where it talks about the application for registration to be made by the donor. If I've missed something, then I hold my hands up. You know, I've, I've read over this a couple of times but as I say where you've got in the bath over Christmas <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> just until my toes started to wrinkle slightly <laughs> and my eggnog had gone off <laughs> curdled <laughs> it had curdled <laughs> um, and as I say it's quite difficult unless you've got the time to sit there with either you know a copy of what the new act in one hand and the old act in the other hand or two computer screens see exactly what's being replaced it's quite difficult so if i've missed something there then you know i hold my hands up but i i I take the point because you know that there could come um so a set of circumstances whereby a donor makes an lpa decides at that particular moment in time they're not they're not going to register it and then later down the down they lose capacity so we shall see the other thing they're introducing is when people are doing the digital application there's going to be strict id requirements yeah so that's a very new thing isn't it because there's really no there are no id i mean there if you go to a lawyer there are id checks on the donor because that's your client and that but that's all to do with money laundering isn't it really um uh, so this is an actual part of the process is id checks yeah and that this will be for it says this will be for persons named in the lpa or taking part in the application process and again that bit is going to be subject to regulations you know yet to be released to to actually how the process will work the other thing it's going to do which i mentioned before this present time people are able to object to the registration of of an lpa and and that's usually the the donor or 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 the attorneys they're they're now going to broaden that out so a third party anybody or are they going to create a class of people who can object at this stage the regulations just refer to objections by third parties if you go back to the old enduring power of attorney when you registered it you had to serve notice didn't you on a on a wide class of people it's like a family tree almost of people that had to be involved in the in the the process or not involved but notified and had the ability or the right to object 
that was stripped away by the the LPA Act, wasn't it? And and then in time, it, it became you can include people who have to be notified, but it's optional. Um, so we're we seem to be moving back to a more prescriptive. More people are going to have the right to raise a yeah, red flag we're not, about we're not, this. We're not widening the class of people that need to be notified. But what we're doing is we're broadening the class of people that can object. The government's saying, okay, we're going to digitise this process, but we want to keep vulnerable people safe. Therefore, we're going to achieve that by having this new class of people, third parties, who can object if they think there's something fishy going on, perhaps with how the LPA has has been created. Mm. Do you think, based on your experience, that those kind of checks and balances introducing them into a digitised structure and, and, and indeed having checks on the identity of those involved in the process. Do you think that will beat the the abuse? I suppose you can't stamp it out entirely, but people are well, it's a people system who have, a, have a, 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 a bad intent in their hearts. They have a way of finding a way, don't they? Yeah, I mean, yes, that's right. I mean, and the fact that they have to prove who they are and that they're a real person, you know, living at a certain address isn't going to diminish any you know motives that they may have and continue to have i would agree i'm sort of Mm. thinking about the cases that you've seen where there has been abuse would an online or paper identity check that this is actually a real person would it have (laughs) prevented the fraud taking place this is just dealing with an application process isn't it exactly it's made it's streamlining the application process and they've bunged this thing in of let's let's have identity checks so the people who are purporting to be the people involved in the LPA are who they say they are. And and that's all it does. We tick that box, application process goes through, but it won't stop all the other shenanigans that goes on all the time in the in the cases that I'm involved with on a on a daily almost a daily basis. It also talks about um proposers to well not proposers, they are going to expedite the objection process. So at the moment there's a there's a time frame, isn't there, within which objections have to be brought? Do you know anything about that? Have they said? Are they not in it's a not five in, week? Is it? Well, I, I, there's nothing in the act about time scale. The bit about expediting the objection process, which is referred to in in the the article by the Law Society in the act, that there are sections that deal with objections, and from what I read it's proposed that somehow the objection process will be expedited by the public guardian having certain powers to determine whether an objection has been made out i've got it written down verbatim so the where an objection has been raised the public guardian must not register the instrument unless they determine that no evidence has been provided that reasonably supports the objection or the court directs that the instrument has to be registered okay so if somebody's just being a, a pain but they've got no real grounds for yeah. their objection it'll allow things not to get bogged down yes that's that's the idea is that also suggesting that if it's a straightforward case where there are no signs of any shenanigans as you put it mm. um that that the the process can move forward faster is, well, is I that think, what's I proposed? Think, I think it's going to depend what the objection is because if the objection relates to some issue with you know the instrument the LPA not having been completed properly 
or it raises issues of undue influence or in- incapacity, which are more substantive reasons as to why the LPA is not being created, then those sorts of things are, are going to have to go through due process and may well end up in court if there's no agreement or consensus reached. But As I, indeed I think, they should. Yeah, but I think this is trying to sift out ridiculous objections yeah. that don't have anything really to do with, with anything. But which, again, would be a good thing. Yeah. Sort of vexatious and yeah. you know, spurious things. Because you've got this, at the moment, you've got this period, haven't you, five weeks, yeah. where you know even and, if the OPG was... Yeah. Running like yeah. a um, a Formula One car, you'd have to wait for that period. Yeah, and your objection goes to the court. Yeah. And then you've got court proceedings. Yeah. So this this is streamlining that aspect and hopefully expediting it yeah. by the objection going to the public guardian, who will then, you know, make a He'll a, make a, be able, a, able a, to make a judgment about it yeah. himself. Right. Okay. That's that that's all so, good. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. But again, this is another section that's gonna be subject to regulations. The other thing I, I noted that I think is a really good thing, under the new Act, chartered legal executives will be able to certify copies of, of Larson Powers of Attorney, mm. which uh, sounds like a minor thing. But in terms of your day um, as a lawyer or as a solicitor, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of time that you have to spend doing solicitor certified copies of LPAs, which have to be specially certified mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. a particular way yeah. on every single page... Yeah. It's, um, it, yeah. it's, it, that's immensely time consuming yeah. so if that can be broadened out that can only be a good thing so I mean, think. if you can give it to somebody else to do well, it was, it, yeah. when I qualified Neil um, I didn't <laughs> did they have powers of it <laughs> I didn't think that so much of my day would just be spent just signing endless documents and uh, you know having to sign this, you know, the same thing over on every single page on it uh, it was never never within uh, well, I thought my day would be made up of. I don't spend all my day doing it, but it's, it's, it does take a uh, Edward, when I became a court protection deputy, I never thought my days would be filled with looking online for child car seats. <laughs> or, yeah, well, yeah. Well, and absolutely. such like. And, and, and other <laughs> more nefarious uh, <laughs> things, which we should draw a veil over that and move on. Yeah, that's uh, uh, all human life is here. Uh, okay. So all in all, it looks like it's going to be a good thing. Again, I'm coming back to that point. All these things are worthy and they're all laudable and aims to speed up the process all good. But will it actually speed up the process? Because the process at the moment is it's taking half a year mm. when it should mm. take six weeks to register an LPA. Yeah. And it's got to the stage where it can't possibly get any worse. Therefore, anything that's done <laughs> is going to be perceived as a vast improvement and the right thing to have been well, well, done, isn't it? Well, the thing is, you see, I don't want to be a, a moaning mini or the voice of doom, but what concerns me is that we do have this process that, that is taking forever. Mm-hmm. It's half a year. Yeah. And that you take it online. Will taking it online actually cut it down because like we've talked about in other podcasts and we touched on earlier the the probate application process has Mm -hmm. gone online yeah Uh, i put that to to a degree in inverted commas and that's taken a process that used to take two weeks is now taking 16 to 20 weeks Mm. so Mm. i 
I don't want, like I said, don't want to be the harbinger of doom. Well, you can be if you want. But, all right. Well, I will, but I'll be, I'll be the luddite, the stick in the mud, the mm. the, the Jonah. But is this actually going to? Because that's what people want to know. Is it instead of it going to take twenty six weeks to to get me from the point where I start my power of attorney off to actually being something that I can use? Mm. Is it going to cut it down from half a year to? six to seven mm-hmm. or eight weeks, mm-hmm. which would be a reasonable time frame. And that's a reasonable question. I, I think perhaps to an extent people are looking at what's happened with the Court of Protection. So a year and a half, two years ago, things had got so bad with paper applications for deputyship orders in the, in the Court of Protection that if you got it within a year, you'd, you'd be lucky, uh, which is never how things were previously and it got so bad that at the point when they introduced the digital process for deputy new deputyship applications they were much much faster but by the same token things had got so bad they couldn't possibly get any worse and therefore any improvement on 12 to 18 months would be a fantastic thing and and then that, and that's what happened and i think at the moment the applications aren't taking as quick as the court would like sort of in the region of 13 weeks or something like that but that you know compare that to 12 to 18 months is so perhaps you know that's been looked at and people are feeling buoyant that this new process will will achieve the same sort of result i suspect we're going to have to have another podcast when all the regulations are come out there are those who might say we are being a bit early in doing this because why didn't we wait until all the regulations have come out but why not speculate it's good Perhaps it was because, as you allege, you, you spent the last 15 months coming to my desk on a regular basis asking for material, and I've declined to, to offer that. So, you know, I've, perhaps I felt coerced, just, and with Christmas coming up. Oh, don't, don't, I felt don't a bit we talk teary, about coercion. And I felt a bit the, nostalgic <laughs> for the old days. The old days, the, yeah. the, 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 the good yeah. old days. Yeah. The other thing I just was going to mention, that in the Law Society article, after they said we broadly support, you know, what the act's aiming to achieve. They go on to say, uh, I'll just quote it now, the act could have done more to provide additional information for certificate providers. So the format of the LPA at present is there is a section, obviously for the donor to sign, there's sections for the attorneys to sign, there's also a section for the certificate provider to sign. And a certificate provider is a specified person who either must have known the donor for at least two years, more than an acquaintance, uh, or, perf- or or be a person with professional skills. Mm. And they sign a section of the form to say they've spoken to the donor. They sign a certificate to say they're of, it's my opinion, that the donor uh, understands the purpose of the instrument and the scope of the authority conferred under it. There's been no duress, there's been no fraud, and there's no other reason why it shouldn't be registered. Mm. So the law says, uh, the Act could have done more to provide additional information for certificate providers. The Act fails to make it clear that a certificate provider has a responsibility to confirm the donor's mental capacity and set out the requirements for fulfilling this role. For example... A certificate provider should be required to ask questions to test whether they can safely form an opinion as to whether the donor has mental capacity. They should also be required to record and store how they formed their opinion in case this is needed later. Whilst this has not been included in the Act, the Ministry of Justice has pledged 
to provide additional supports to certificate providers. This is an ongoing issue, and I'll mention because you've had this yeah, come yeah, up, haven't you? Yeah, on, yeah. On the case, exactly. yeah. So this, this, you know, is an ongoing issue, and you know, the Act doesn't deal with it. Uh, we have the Ministry of Justice pledging to provide additional support, so I don't know how that's going to be done or or what it's going to look like. But this is an issue because I was involved in in a, in a case that ended up on appeal where the public guardian took the view that the certificate provider hadn't asked the right sort of questions to, to satisfy themselves of the, the information that they were giving a certificate about. Our position was that it was setting a dangerous precedent because one of the major points when LPAs came into force in, in 2007 was, as this new act is intending to do, was to make this a really accessible thing to the public because the uptake was poor in a similar way that, you know, only a third of people from the public at large had made wills. There was a similar concern about lack of uptake with, with powers of attorney. So this new lasting power of attorney process that came in wanted to make this much more accessible. And one of the things that was discussed in in the parliamentary papers at the time was, do we have a process where a certificate provider should be a professional? Okay, because they are the people who arguably would be best placed to form an opinion as to whether the donor uh, understands the purpose of the LPA and the scope of authority conferred under it and whether somebody was being subjected to undue influence, coercion or, or, or fraud. But it was felt that that would limit and, and hinder the uptake if, if people were going to have to use a professional and the certificate provider didn't therefore have to be a professional. They, they could be a, 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 a friend, yeah, a friend or a, lay, a work a colleague. Yeah. It's all about or, access to justice, isn't or it? Or as the government it? website yeah. says, somebody from your sports club. Actually says that. Yeah, it actually says that. And, and, and now, have you ever given a certificate on an LPA in a locker room? <laughs> that was a, an unsavoury incident. <laughs> not, not, no, not in a professional capacity. But this, this is now the problem because I was involved in in, the, in this case, and the public guardian decided that this person, you know, hadn't asked the right questions. Our point was that, well, the legislation just says they have to form an opinion and they give a certificate saying, that's my opinion. Are you allowed to go behind how they form the opinion? Which sets a dangerous precedent. I suppose the point is, you're dealing with lay people, no offence, who are not professionally trained and they have to form an opinion and that opinion is allowed to be questioned and cross-examined and, and, and interrogated. And somebody may answer questions in a certain way or, you know, or, or depends what questions they're being asked you know, etc. Et is that ongoing then, or has that been resolved? Because it does fly in the face of trying to, like you said, trying to broaden this out, trying not to, to remove well, it from it's being been, a closed yes. shop that's only open to lawyers. It's been resolved to the extent that, that we didn't win yeah. on that argument, and, and it therefore remains the case that where a certificate provider signs a certificate to say, that's my opinion. That's allowed to be questioned. In my humble view, that's um, against the spirit of the Lasting Power of Attorney Act. I, I think the Law Society felt that this was an opportune moment to have something in the Act to deal with that, and, and because there's no guidance for certificate providers as to 
how they perform their role. The LPA regulations and the mental capacity is a very prescriptive piece of legislation. You know, it, it, it tells you exactly what has to be done to create a valid LPA. And if you haven't done it, exactly what the Act says, then it's not valid. Well, there's nothing in there about what certificate provider is meant to do or what questions or how to do. It's open to the public guardian to revoke LPAs if they're not satisfied that they've formed a reasonable opinion, which, you know, flies in the face of people being able to choose. Well, it puts it back into the realm of having to get a solicitor yeah, like or a, a doctor. Yeah, like a closed shop, yeah. yeah. I, I said before, didn't I, I said that the spirit of the, of the uh, LPA, of course it's not the spirit of the Larson Powers of Attorney, it's the spirit of the Mental Capacity Act, but it does seem to fly in the face of that, yeah. You made a point before about the powers that be wanted more people to be able to do LPAs, make them themselves. Um, of course, all they, what they should have had the foresight back in, back in the day, they should have known that Martin Lewis would come along, be on the telly, and if he tells people to do something, then they do it. Because every yeah. time he comes on and tells people they should do an LPA or they should do a will, yeah. that we get a massive spike in phone calls. And I'm sure the, the OPG get a massive spike in numbers of LPAs need to be registered. Yeah. That's probably the 26-week thing. It's probably all down to Martin Lewis. So, anyway, again, just my humble opinion on that. Yeah, well, we, you know, we can deal with Martin Lewis in a separate podcast all of its own. Well, indeed, we should. We should. And on that bombshell, yes. we should perhaps... Okay, well, well, thank you, Edward. It's, it's, been, it's, it's been interesting and, and great fun as always, so well, I'm indebted. It's thank been you. an absolute pleasure, Neil, and thank you for doing so much research, um, uh, for actually going away and reading, actually reading the legislation. Yes. Well, one of us had to. <laughs> and you knew it would have to be you, <laughs> because you could not rely on me. But we shall return yeah. uh, when we know how this is actually all going to work yeah. and we can have a look then yeah. again uh, and see Excellent. if it's going to do all the things that we want it to do yeah okay great brilliant thank, thank you. you thank you to edward and neil for lending their expertise yet more proof lawyers don't bite if you have a legal issue you'd like me to put to our team to cover in an upcoming episode please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast Thanks for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please remember to follow or subscribe on your app so you're notified of new releases when they come out every Monday. Speak to you next week. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.